tonight we're going to study the fourth command, the fourth commandment. Uh, tonight we are going to consider, I think, uh, a very important topic, uh, a topic that there's a lot of confusion on, quite frankly, and a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different viewpoints on it, and and within the church of God, within the sound Christian community, there are different views on this matter. I'm going to give you my perspective. That's all I can preach on. I think it is biblical, and I also see weight to other perspectives on this issue. It's one that I really proceed with a, a certain amount of humility that I think I'm even being, I'm growing in my understanding of this particular commandment and doctrine, and so uh, I hope you'll give credence to the Word of God, and I hope it's sound and, and that you would be impressed to consider these things uh, as they are given, not by me, but by God's Word tonight. Exodus 28 through 11. This is the fourth command, commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So without a doubt, this is the most disagreed upon, and I would argue the most misunderstood commandment out of the ten. It's easy to agree upon, thou shalt not kill, murder, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, all of those things. But this commandment, with reason, within reason, is a difficult commandment. Since the days of the early church, there has been no small amount of discussion and contemplation about what a Christian's responsibility towards this commandment should be. And in our day, much of Christianity lives in ignorance and even ridicule of this commandment. And I hope, as we'll see tonight, and I know as we'll see tonight, Christians have much to gain from the correct kind of obedience to this command. Now, ironically, most of the obedience aspect to it will be dealt with next week. <laughs> Tonight we're going to look at really the question, should we observe it? And if we should, why, how, in what way? There's been a great cultural change, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, in our country and in modern times in the Western world. Even in far back as the 16th century, or I'm sorry, the 17th century, it was illegal. It was a chargeable offense to work on the Lord's Day in the Western culture. It wasn't until 1949, now this to some, not maybe in this church, but in some churches, this might be considered blasphemous. It wasn't until 1949 that the NFL officially sanctioned Sunday games. Fifty-some years ago, those who cared about the secularization of this country could surely not have envisioned Super Bowl Sunday as we have it now, or services, Super Bowl Sunday services. 
So that's in 50 years in this country. Such a dramatic shift has changed where once something was not only economically impossible to have your church hold a Super Bowl Sunday, but it was impossible altogether on Sunday, 50 years ago. Now, as we're considering the Ten Commandments, there are things that we need to keep in mind, things that I'm resting on. You know where I'm coming from. First of all, they're moral laws. These are moral laws that derive from the nature of God himself and that God has instilled in his creation. Secondly, they are principles that precede the Mosaic Covenant, meaning they, they are principles that begin in creation. They don't begin with Moses in the giving of the law. For example, murder was always wrong. It was always wrong before the Ten Commandments were given. It was always wrong to be an idolater, to worship other gods besides the one true God. Third, Jesus perfectly complied with all ten of them. He fulfilled all of these moral obligations. His perfect act of obedience is the reason why his death paid for our sins. He was perfectly righteous. He is our representative, the new Adam, because he fulfilled the law. Four, the Ten Commandments are never rescinded in Scripture. Never. It's never said in Scripture, implicitly or explicitly, we have no obligation to observe the Ten Commandments. Fifth, our love for Christ, and this is really where I've been trying to give keep our perspective on this matter, our love for Christ compels us to obey them. In fact, I've been arguing that the Ten Commandments are summarized with the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second great commandment. Those two comprise what the Ten Commandments exegete. In other words, we live out when we obey when we live in accordance to the Ten Commandments, we live in accordance to love for God. So I'm arguing that if you just neglect the Ten Commandments in your life and suggest that you can live before God while you murder your neighbor, <laughs> you're lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. This is a way that we express our love for God. This is not a way or means whereby we can attain our own righteousness as Christians. We cannot fulfill these commands perfectly. We have not. We have no basis for trusting in them for our salvation, only in Christ who fulfilled them. So those are some standard, fundamental undergirdings to where I'm coming from with this whole series. Now, based on these, what will we learn from Scripture... We will, and what we learn from Scripture, we'll try to answer these questions tonight, at least in part. Does the Sabbath day matter to us, to Christians? Does it matter to us? If so, how should we observe it? What is the significance of it? Does it matter to us? How should we observe it? And what's the significance of it? I'm not promising we'll get through all of this, but those are the three questions that undergird this. First of all, does the Sabbath day matter to Christians and should we observe it? I'm just going to give both of those in one here. Now, based on those five principles, we just can 
considered, we should be able to answer that question. If those five principles are sound, we should be able to answer the question, does the Sabbath day matter to Christians? Well, first of all, they're moral laws, aren't they? If they're all moral laws that hinge not upon timely God's dealing with man in a timely manner, but with the nature of God and his creation, then yes, they matter. They all matter. And so that's my first argument tonight, is that the Sabbath day principle is a moral principle, and it relates not to the giving of the law, the Mosaic law, but to creation in the first place. It's not a ceremonial law in the first place that Moses gave to the people of Israel. It is a moral law that began at creation. Now, to be sure, this principle crosses over to the realm of ceremony, and we all would admit that. It was a day of congregational worship for Israel as it is when we observe it. But that's not the essence of the day. The essence lies with God himself in creation. The essence is that God, when he created everything in six days, on the seventh day, he rested. That's where the principle is derived from, I would argue. So it resides, its essence resides in God's act of resting from and considering his own act of creation and his fulfillment of his own people's redemption. Now this is how Moses speaks of the Sabbath day principle. Secondly, for in the first place in creation in our text, Exodus chapter 20, but also in Deuteronomy 5, 14 through 15. You would notice there that I added redemption. So creation is spoken of in Exodus 20. Listen to his reiteration of the commandments in Deuteronomy 5, 14 through 15. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. Go on to 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice there are two then undergirdings to the Sabbath day principle. One, God's resting in his active work of creation. And two, his completing Israel's redemption from Egypt. Both of those precede the giving of the law. Both of those acts precede what Moses is now doing even. And from any Jewish use of the Sabbath day. And therefore, the Sabbath day principle is a moral principle. It's a moral law, not a ceremonial law in the first place. And I want to just say this now, and I'll come back to this point. Both of those points, God's creative act and redemptive act, find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Both of them do. Christ is the fulfillment of all the law. The moral law, everything, the ceremonial law, he is that fulfillment. And both of those, the creative act of God and the redemption that even was portrayed in the redemption of Israel from Egypt is fulfilled in Christ. Now this also means, most importantly for you and I, that when we observe this principle, we ought to in our minds observe this with the knowledge and faith that since Christ has ceased from his labors, 
so too have you. We rest in Christ. Christ said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Secondly, the principle of the Sabbath precedes, as I've said already, the Mosaic Covenant. And that takes place at Mount Sinai. They precede it, and you can find those texts in Genesis 2, 2 through 3, and Exodus 12. Third, Jesus kept the Sabbath day, and indeed is Lord of it. He said that himself. Our example, Christ, was obedient to the Sabbath day principle. Now, that's not the end of the argument, because Christ was obedient to many laws that we don't follow. He was obedient to the dietary laws that we don't follow. But Jesus said in Matthew 12, 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So there is a sense then that Christ, if he was ever the Lord of the Sabbath, was always the Lord of the Sabbath, since Sabbath began at creation. And he will always be the Lord of the Sabbath day. Fourth, the Sabbath day principle is never rescinded in Scripture. Now this is where usually people start putting objections out there. The Sabbath day principle is never rescinded in Scripture. And the first objection comes like this. Jesus teaches that a literal observance of the Sabbath day is subjective. He teaches that it's not really something that could be observed as a law should be observed. It's subjective. And they'll point out texts like Luke chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 10. We'll just look at a, a few of these here. Actually, we'll look at all of them. We'll look at verses 1 through 5 first. Luke chapter 6, 1 through 5. This is a familiar story, I think, to most of us. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, is Jesus here just teaching that the Sabbath day principle is subjective then? Is that what he's doing? Well, let's just consider these things a little more closely. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. First of all, notice that Jesus is the one leading them through the field. That's very important. Jesus is the one on Sabbath day walking through the field. It doesn't say he picked anything or that he ate anything, but he's leading them through it. And I would imagine that this is due to their need to eat. This is due to his disciples' need for something to eat. They themselves were quite poor. Secondly, they were poor. Jesus had a stone to lay his head on. What do you think the disciples had? They themselves were poor, and it was lawful for them, according to the customs of Israel, to pick leftover grain from a field, to harvest, to glean. 
Third, Jesus defends his disciples' actions against the Pharisees' interpretation of Moses. And thus, Jesus doesn't teach a new way to observe the law. He defines rightly what the law, the principle, the spirit of the law defined, the intent of God in the law. Fourth, Jesus applies the spirit of law to the situation when he connects what happened there with David's eating of the showbread. If you want to look that up later, that's 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. And the principle, fifth, that undergirds the Sabbath law then is, is that if observing the Sabbath day ought not to do, in observing it, we ought not to do violence to the basic needs of man. Meaning the Sabbath day is not for a day for us to lash ourselves and hurt ourselves, starve ourselves, deprive ourselves of any earthly need. That's what Jesus is pointing out quite frankly here. Six, Jesus' lordship over the Sabbath confirms his authority on the matter. Now, it doesn't make the Sabbath day merely subjective that Jesus is lord of it. Because Jesus is lord, I can do whatever I want to on the Sabbath day. That's not the point here. The point is, he defines what the Sabbath day is really all about. That's his point. He has all authority over that day and how it's defined. The second example, stay there in in Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. This is, a, this is another one often pointed to. See, the Sabbath is just subjective. You do what you want. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. Well, there's nothing here that's subjective at all. What's being taught here by Jesus, what's being corrected, is a false, self-righteous interpretation of the Sabbath by the Pharisees. You weren't allowed to do even good on the Sabbath day. If doing good meant works of mercy, they would define those works as just that, a work. Therefore, the Sabbath, even to them, to the Pharisees, prohibited works of kindness, works of mercy. And notice what Jesus said there. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm? Well, Jesus corrects their faulty idea and teaches us at the same time that the Sabbath day principle that was begun in creation includes always to do good. You know, in the historic observance of the Sabbath day principle for the Christian church, alms were always a part of every weekly service. Giving to the poor was always a part of every weekly service. We do it one day here at this church where we have a benevolent fund in the back. But that's how the church observed because they saw it's not only right, but it's good to do acts of mercy on the Lord's day, according to this principle. But Jesus is not arguing that we don't have to observe the the Sabbath day principle of not exercising our right to business. He's saying do good works on the Sabbath day. Do works of mercy. Had Jesus not healed this man 
course, it was his will to do so, but he saw his need. And James says, if we see the need of our brother and sister and we don't meet that need, we're hypocrites. You're just as much a hypocrite on the Sabbath day principle if you drive someone away in their need as you are on any other day. Jesus taught that the priests were guiltless even though they ministered on the Sabbath day in Matthew 12, 5. The children of Israel marched around Jericho six days, seven days. They marched on the Sabbath day. It was good for them to do that. Far from teaching that the Sabbath day was done away with, Jesus, I believe, throughout the Gospels, corrects wrong ideas about the day. Wrong principles, self-righteous, stringent principles, traditions that were held by the Jews concerning that day. Mark 2.27 says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's he mean there? means that God didn't create the Sabbath to subjugate man under a rod of iron, to bind everything good for man. He did it for our good. Is that the way you think about the Sabbath principle? That God created it? That he, in nature, ordained it for our good? <clears throat> I could go out on a long rabbit trail. I'm trying to resist for the teenager's sake in the back. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, says this, We must not allow ourselves to be carried away by the common notion that the Sabbath is a mere Jewish ordinance and that it was abolished and done away by Christ. There is not a single passage of the gospel which proves this. In every case where we find our Lord speaking upon it, he speaks against the false views of it, which were taught by the Pharisees, but not against the day itself. He cleanses and purifies the fourth commandment from the man-made additions by which the Jews had defiled it, but never declares that it was not to bind Christians. We'll consider how, what he means by that. He shows that the seventh, seventh, day, seventh day's rest was not meant to prevent works of necessity and mercy, but he says nothing to imply that it was to pass away as part of a ceremonial law. We'll look at more examples next week on how we can observe that this principle rightly. But a second objection comes up, and this is a really important one. And this might be in your mind if you're thinking through this. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. This seems like it's just a home run for the Christian to not pay any deference to this command. And many take it that way. Many Godly people take it that way, to where it just has a, a complete dissolving effect of this law. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Colossia. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival, or new moon, or a Sabbath. Thank you. Let's all go home. The question is answered. Don't judge me if I miss a service. Don't judge me if I work for business and for gain on the Sabbath day. 
These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Wow. Now, when I started this series, I'm going to just come right. I'm not going to evade and hide behind several months ago when we started and just hope you forgot. I'm going to tell you and remind you that when I started this series, I rested on this text to say what shadows are fulfilled in Christ, we have no obligation to observe. Do you remember that? And I believe that still. So let's go home. You're contradict. You just contradict yourself all day here. I use this text to argue that the ceremonial shadows of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, have passed away. They are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And guess what? I still believe that. I still believe it and I hold to it as strenuously as ever. And doesn't that settle the matter that I'm confused? Well, here's the issue. The question is not, the question is whether or not a universal, simple understanding of the Sabbath is being referred to here or not. Paul's teaching seems to have in mind what was traditionally Jewish in these issues, in this, what he describes there. Food or drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath. Those were explicitly Jewish practices in this context. Now, how do we delineate that, though? In short, I take shadows in this context to describe what was particular for the Jewish observance of these days, given by Moses. But, and this is where we have to think a little bit, remember that we're not concerned with Moses' giving of the Sabbath day principle. We are concerned with this as a moral principle given in nature, given in creation. See, this is where the argument stands or falls on both ends. Either you're a Sabbatarian and you think that this principle still holds for us today in the way that Christ defined it and taught it and the way we understand it, especially in the New Testament. Or, because of this text, we see it only connected to Moses and therefore it's, it's done away with. And I would agree, if it's only connected with the old covenant community of Israel, then the principle is done away. It's a shadow. It's fulfilled in Christ. That's it. But I'm arguing that the principle of the Sabbath goes beyond the old covenant community of Israel to creation. That's what I've been trying to say from the very beginning of this whole argument. This is a creation moral law that God ordained to be perpetual for all people, not just for Christians, but for all people to observe. Christians will only observe this as unto God, mind you. And this is one of the reasons why I think that we as Christians ought to observe this, this principle still. And I believe there is not one 
necessary tradition of the old covenant that the Jew was observing in a Jewish way that is necessary for you or I to observe. Nothing that was particular for them do we have to observe. I just don't believe that this command is particular only for them. I think it had certain ceremonial concepts to the Jew in that time that was certainly for them, that pointed forward to Christ in the way that they observed it culturally was for them certainly. But that is exactly what I believe Paul is dispelling here. That shadow is past. Christ is the fulfillment of it. To be sure, Christ is the substance, even of the moral and eternal aspects of the Sabbath principle. He has rested from his redemptive labors. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are there seated with him. But it is precisely because we rest in him that we continue, I believe, to observe this day unto him, to worship him. To worship him because of his finished work, of his creation, his new creation in us, and of our redemption, that, which is how he accomplished our salvation. Does the obedience to the creation and redemptive Sabbath principle contradict holding fast to Christ's fulfillment of it? If I, if I argue that we should observe this commandment, and it should be a part of our conscience as a Christian to observe it, does that nullify Christ being the fulfillment of it? No. If that's true, then all the law, all the moral law, <laughs> we'd have no obligation to any of them. You see, what is on us, what's weighty on me when I come to this, is when I look at the Ten Commandments, I see uniform natural law, moral law that derives from God himself. And how can I pick out the fourth and say, that's it, gone? I don't think scripture does it. I don't think we have any right to do it. The question ought to be for us, how do we rightfully observe it? Should we be self-righteous and traditional and just make up our own parameters to what observing it is or not? Or should we heed what Christ has to say about it? Do good works. Do works of mercy. We'll look more about them next week. I want you to come back. That's why I'm not giving everything tonight. Therefore, I believe our observing of this principle, I believe it keeps Christ sanctified before us. It keeps him holy before us. When we come together every week for worship, when we do that out of love, do you just come here because, oh, I have to go to church? If so, you're not really living with the principle that the new covenant gives to us, that his laws are written on our hearts, and that we delight in the law of God, that we delight in his word, that we delight to be with believers in the assembly of his congregation. Do you bemoan the Lord's day, the day that we observe this principle? As I said, we have no obligation to keep this day in the way that the Jew kept this day 
from Moses on. No obligation. They meet on Saturdays. They met on Saturdays. That's something I'll talk about next week. There's no obligation for us to meet Saturdays or Sundays, quite frankly. There's freedom for the Christian church in any location in the world to decide Thursday we're going to meet and that's going to be the day we assemble and worship God together. I believe there's complete freedom. I think there's complete reasonableness in observing it on the Lord's Day, the day that Christ rose from the grave and the day that demonstrated that he had ceased from his labors, both in our redemptive work and the new creation work. Third, there's an objection and that's the argument from silence. In other words, it's argued that we don't see this law mentioned again in the New Testament, therefore we don't observe it. And, and quite frankly, I just would rather be silent about that argument from silent and just say I don't believe it. But I don't think that carries any weight at all. We're talking about moral principles. If that's true, then the argument of silence fails because what we're arguing from the very beginning with the Ten Commandments is these are ways that we live before God in love. That means when Christ repeats what the fulfillment of the commandments is in the Old Testament, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, when Christ repeats that and the second command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, which is given in Deuteronomy uh, 6 and Leviticus 18, both of those, they're also repeated by Christ. He's saying, in effect, the moral law is for you, all of it, if we observe it rightly, as a Christian, knowing that Christ has fulfilled it. As long as we put no moral obligation to obtain righteousness in observing any of the Ten Commandments, I believe they all stand, all ten of them. They stand for us. These no more contradict Christ than our observance of, or this command no more contradicts Christ and his, us being found in him, him being the completion of our righteousness, than our observance of any other of the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we can hold fast in faith only to Christ while we at the same time observe this biblical principle of keeping the Sabbath day out of love for him, for what he has done. Why do you come to church? I come to worship Christ. I come to enjoy myself together with his church, who he has bought with his own blood, who he has finished and accomplished our redemption. That's why I come. I don't come just merely because of law. I, become, I come because I delight to obey him in that way. Now, there are huge implications for the way this plays out in our life. Huge implications. Do you have a Super Bowl Sunday in place of biblical preaching and worship? We'll look at those next week.